You may turn to Acts chapter 6, and by way of introduction, I have really enjoyed this passage. It has been so enjoyable, I've had my trouble keeping my mind on the passage, and I will tell you why. Three things. First, Timothy 3 tells us the qualifications. It's masterful at telling us the qualifications for deacons and pastors as they would come into the church. This section tells us the process. It tells us how it happened. And as it tells us the process, it outlines so many relationships. We will read just seven verses, but when you think of the relationships that are represented here, you have growth in the church, you have trouble, you have widows that are not having their needs met. This creates complaints and disunity within the church. So the apostles who now state the priority of their task for the word and prayer, have to also meet the trouble that is in the church, directing the members to choose among them those who would be serving as deacons. From here we see that they have to hold to certain qualities. We see that ultimately unity is restored and that God blesses the continued growth. The first problem was growth that brought problems. Then they had continued growth after managing those problems. So I would entitle this Management and Mission. So I love the fact that this is a process-oriented section of Scripture telling us about how deacons came to serve, the relationships that are involved. And then very specifically, it shows how the priorities of prayer and preaching lead to the identity and mission of the church. And we are all about that, aren't we? We want to know who we are in the church. We want to see the church stay on mission. There is a desire to serve in the social realm. Bless the Lord that we have people that go out and seek to help their neighbors in various ways. But if we become all about a social program and leave the word and prayer, we lose our identity. And with that, we lose our mission. And so this passage maintains how do you deal with trouble and how do you keep these priorities? And it does it in a kind of a case study format, if you will. And so, uh, and the reason I kept getting so distracted is because, uh, well, I came here in 87 and I kept thinking of the church history that I have seen here. And we bless God for his gifting to the church. As we look at a new elder candidate, uh, at least 10 elders have gone before. That's the Lord blessing and gifting our church. We owe him praise for many years of having men that would lead us. For our deacons, as we have our candidates, I, it's at least 18 deacons have gone before. Why do I say that? We have a great motivation to praise our Savior who has gifted to this degree over the many years. And he has also kept the priority. He's kept the main thing the main thing prayer and the preaching of the word. I consider my own state. I got here in 87. I walked in the door as a tongue-speaking Arminian parachurch person. And with the proclamation of the word, all those positions were changed. Regarding tongue-speaking, 1 Corinthians, an order in the church took care of that. Regarding parachurch, 1 Timothy 3, that God would have a qualified body of men be leading and directing decisions in the church. And it went. 
And then as far as my Arminian, Ephesians 1, and then there was so much I couldn't unsee, whether it was John 10 or John 6 or Romans 9, it just, it was everywhere. That all came about from prayer and the preaching of the word being held as a priority. And this church has seen many troubles over the years. And sometimes we have marveled. How is it that we got through all that trouble and yet it seemed the pulpit never lacked? It seemed that the word of God continued to go forward, whatever our state. That's the blessing of God. We owe him so much praise and thanks. And so I kept thinking of, of his goodness through the decades. Uh, but let's do get into Acts chapter 6. That is why we are here. If, I, if my sermon were three words, it would be trouble, direction, and blessing. So verses 1 and 2 will be trouble. Verses 3 and 4 will be direction, and verses 5 through 6 will be blessing. Let us read verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we have trouble in the church. And we see that deacons, first point, deacons address trouble. Deacons are called in in this situation to manage the trouble. So if I would title this sermon, Management and Mission, we have a case to manage here. The growth they had generated problems. We see that the Hellenist complaints uh, were against the Hebrews. Now, the Hebrew widows were being cared for. And remember, widowhood in this day and age of Acts 6 were much more severe than today. They were out on their own. They did not have the extended structure to support them uh, as we have in many parts of even our government today. But the Greek widows were not being tended to as well as the Hebrew widows. And so this complaint grew, this trouble grew. And it was really, if you think about it, it was a misdirected complaint. The pattern of this complaint could not solve the problem. If we find two people are in need and one of them is helped, and the one who's not looks at the other person who was helped and saying, I have odds against you because you were helped and I was not, that complaint is misdirected. It doesn't help resolve the situation. You have to look higher. You have to look at how the, the fuller structure. You have to look for where your help comes from. And so in, to a degree, it was misdirected, but it created trouble in the church. And so as deacons are called to address this trouble, this trouble really is not meeting James 1.27, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God of the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this trouble was the widows not being cared for as they ought. And so here we see that when deacons have to address this trouble, they have to address the trouble behind the trouble. It's sort of like looking around corners and seeing where the trouble is coming from. The Hellenist versus Hebrew dissension arose from a neglected distribution. And that neglected distribution perhaps came from a prejudice inherent in the culture that favored Hebrews and disfavored the Greeks. It could also have risen from a vague, what I would call a vague group dynamic. 
There wasn't a formalized activity to make sure all the dots got connected and everyone's needs were met. At this point, the church was growing, and that in itself became a challenge. It was hard to cover all the bases, and so there was not a direct path to look and solve this problem. So they had to solve the trouble behind the trouble. And our deacons, I believe, by the way, that there is a lesson for all of us in this passage. Whether you are a member looking to choose deacons and elders, whether you are a deacon being chosen, whether you are a pastor being chosen, uh, everybody in this process, this relationship, has some, uh, an interaction with another. But for our deacons, again, we have to address the trouble. And in fact, experience through the years says at times, people are going to take a problem that is trouble and they're going to think you're the trouble. For instance, maybe you are called unloving because someone comes in, they would like to receive a monetary gift, but having worked with this person a while, you know there's a background. Maybe there's an employment issue where they have not sought to be employed. Maybe there's a gambling issue where they want the money because they've lost it somewhere else. Um, and you direct them to their family. And because you direct them to their family and you don't hand over the money, we see a turn sometimes in requests, often requests from the outside. And so now the complaint that they have of their situation becomes a complaint that they would levy on you. Maybe you hold to uh, 1 Timothy 5 and its view of true widows or family first. And maybe you don't put them up in a hotel, but maybe you're seeking to get them on a bus back to their family where they can be rightly cared for, according to 1 Timothy 5. And that is viewed as harsh by some. And, and some who visit will come and give you a... They'll, they'll give you quite a bit to listen to in that regard. Maybe you support the elders on the direction they're going and someone who wants to ally you to their different cause. And that will make you a target. And so every time we see trouble, there's usually trouble behind the trouble. I often think of what was told to Cain. He said, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this is the path of growth of the deacon. I believe they, they enter into these. There are factors that make to want you trip, that make, want to call you unloving while you're doing the right thing, while you are following the Lord in this service before you. Church goes through periods where there's perhaps injustice, or maybe it's not even sin. Maybe it's just that needs overcome supply and pastors get distracted because of these entanglements. Again, we remember deacons address trouble and where they're sinners. Joined together in a group, there is trouble. What do we say then? Do we come away dark and depressed that deacons are drawn to trouble? I would say we actually find in the economy of Christ, a wonderful encouragement, even in this environment. The encouragement is as that you men are not alone. You have other deacons in your office. You have other pastors in the church. You have other members who are going to come alongside, and they will draw and help you, and they will let you know we are here to support you when, when things are needed. In fact, I know we have stand, people right now are standing in line, and they've told Various deacons and persons, if you need something on Sunday morning, call on me. We're here. So even though this sounds rather daunting that deacons are called to trouble, there's an encouragement 
that you are not alone. There's an encouragement when you see trouble resolved. It's an encouragement when you see the very thing that is troubling become a blessing, which is what we see here in Acts 6. The growth created trouble. But when they managed it, God brought more blessing through the growth. And indeed, they had to resolve and move forward. And in all of this, dear deacons, you gain a good standing. And 1 Timothy 3 tells us that there is a great confidence in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes from those who serve well. This is a joy beyond compare. This is what will make trouble look small. And delight and praise for the Lord look big. So deacons are called to trouble. Secondly, let us read verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So our second point is, the apostles avoid distraction. There's trouble and there's real danger that the apostles will be distracted from their primary task. That they would be, instead preaching the word, that they would be, again, dealing with this situation. And they have quite a challenge. Many historians think at this point in the church was probably 20,000 people. So you have 20,000 people and 12 apostles leading. This, this has got to change, right? We, there's, and there's no precedent. Uh, how do you develop a new system? How do you get people in line? How do you, in a sense, share the ministry in a qualified way? And how is this performed? And this is where Acts 6 it just does so beautifully well. How do we get from point A to point B? When the challenge is 20,000 people and you have 12 men leading the charge. And their statement here initially could be misconstrued, couldn't it? Could you see in reading this statement a certain way that there's an unconcern for widows? It's not right that we leave preaching. But we'll find the overall context. That's not what they're saying. You can also see that people sometimes want the pastor, the apostle to be the one to tend to their needs. You know, who's Prochorus? I don't know Prochorus. I want to be served by the pastor directly. And they've got to change the equation. There's got to be some flexibility brought in. It's too easy to lose focus. And the, the apostles see this. And the apostles respond. Their first response is, we have to protect and prioritize the word in all this. It's not that they're unconcerned. We're going to see they take direct actions to deal with this. And we're going to find those actions are blessed. But they have to maintain the necessity of gospel-centered growth. In fact, that brings up an interesting question. They're not willing to become a social organization, but neither are they willing to neglect those needs that are present in the assembly. Sometimes when we talk about church growth, we talk about numbers. We get mixed responses, don't we? Maybe from ourselves, but certainly from others. When you hear about a church that's growing fantastically in numbers, is that good or is that bad? And I think there's another question that has to be asked. And the question is, is that gospel growth, gospel-centered growth, or is it simply someone building their own kingdom? Because one is very beautiful when it's gospel-centered growth. And this is what the priorities of the, of the apostles are aiming for. But the other one is quite ugly, isn't it? It's actually a church growth idol, if you will. There's a form of idolatry to build a church in numbers after yourself. 
to build a kingdom. And one is extraordinary beautiful that there's growth according to the gospel. And one is very ugly if it is anything else. And it's wonderful that in this passage, when the apostles avoid distraction, they are holding to that, which makes growth, even in numbers, beautiful. And in fact, we find in Acts, don't we, there's a lot of counting of persons. As one commentator says, they count the persons because the persons count. They are so cherished as they are brought in. They're, they're counted in their numbers. And so we see that they avoid the distraction. They maintain a gospel-centeredness in this growth, and that makes it a very beautiful growth. And when we see something differing from that, we find it turns ugly very quickly. Now we go into the direction. We've seen something of the trouble. We've seen something of the distraction. We've seen that prayer, which needs to be put first and foremost. It's, it's just too easy to work and try and do good and have prayer neglected. They won't, they won't have it. Let's now go into the section of directions as we look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to do this duty. So here we see that the deacons are picked and they are appointed. Deacons picked and appointed. A wise and gracious response is needed for this problem. And so there's a management now that has to come alongside the mission of the church. They have to address trouble, but prioritize the gospel. And after prioritizing prayer and preaching, the apostles now are making some wise adjustments to how they will deal with this problem. The people choose according to their guidelines. There's a marvelous handshake here. In fact, verses 2, 3, and 4 create a very interesting pattern, a sandwich, if you will. You have, we cannot leave preaching. Here's how we will manage the trouble. And then we will give ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. And so what they do is they say, you will choose. They are involved in the process of choosing. We are involved as a congregation in the choosing of these officers. And it is a, it's not an absolute choice. It's a relative choice. It's very, in other words, it's a, it's a voting and it's a choosing by a conscience that is held captive to the word of God. It's not simply, in America, we think of voting. We think, I vote to my preference. In the church, as Christ's soldiers, as Christ's sheep, we vote according to a conscience that is captive to the word of God. What will God be pleased with? What will God say is the, the pattern that will advance his kingdom, and how can I follow that? And so we see this handshake between them. If you've taken our membership class recently, pages 4, 5, and 6, we talk about the keys of authority that the pastors have given to them by scripture to lead and to order the church. There's also a key of liberty that is given to the members of the church. And neither key can force the other key to turn. They work in harmony. And so here is the, we see this pattern, I believe, right from this passage, that as they tell them, to choose men from among themselves, in a sense, they are in the driver's seat. 
But in a sense, they're not because they are also choosing according to guidelines that the apostles give them. What are these guidelines? First one is that, brothers, you are the ones to pick the deacons. And by this, he means the membership of the church. Candidates, secondly, are the ones that are among you. Choose. They also say choose seven men. They've, they've, uh, the apostles in their wisdom under the Holy Spirit even choose the number that seems to be appropriate for the problem that is at hand. And then you get into the qualifications. And this shares a lot with 1 Timothy 3. You have those who are of good reputation. You have this problem. You have complaining. You have a cultural issue at hand. You have a supply needed for the widows. You want men that are respected by all. You want men that are able to serve and move uh, with the respect of whatever camp others are in, they're going to be a join. And this is how you restore unity in their case. You want men that are full of the spirit. These men are not following a script where they have a set pattern before them. They're going to have to take the principles of the word of God, implement them into the trouble that is at hand. And so they need to be full of the spirit. They need to be full of wisdom. As one commentator says, you need a lot of wisdom to address the drama that is going to be present and that will continue and that needs to be resolved. And so here we see that the deacons are picked and appointed. The guidelines are given initially by the apostles. The ratification, if you will, the appointing them, the laying hands on them will complete the action by the apostle. And in the, in the middle are the members who are choosing, who are evaluating by this criteria, who are seeing the good reputation. And so it hits all the bases. And here again, you can see where Acts 6 is very relational. How do the deacons relate to those who choose them? And how do the members relate to the apostles? And how do all of these work around the need while maintaining the priority of the gospel? Does, does anyone feel like we have a bunch of plates spinning at the same time? And yet keeping the priority is key. Also, fourthly, let's look at verse 4. Actually, I'm going to reread the end of 3 and also verse 4. These men are, let's say, whom we appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so here we have the appointing of the deacons to duty, and here we have them being devoted to prayer. They commit themselves. And is this not the great need in the church? Is this not both square one, where we start, and then we continue with it through the process, and then we end with prayer as well? Prayer is one of those things that we all know, don't we, is too easily sacrificed for other things. Even doing good, prayer can be sacrificed may be interesting to note that Jesus did not employ the pray as you go. Sometimes we, we incorporate prayer, don't we, with multitasking something else. And what we find with Christ is that he went off to a solitary place. Christ went where he would pray. It wasn't mixed with something else at the same time. And he didn't employ the pray as you go ministry, but he would go and seek particularly that matter of prayer. Spurgeon says, a minister who doesn't pray is vain and conceited, 
to think that he could operate in his own strength. I think maybe if there's one great lesson that we take away above all others from this passage is the great need we have of prayer. And if we talk again of prayer and it seems a little dry to us, that topic, we know we are in greater need of that prayer than ever before. But prayerlessness indicates self-sufficiency. And that self-sufficiency indicates a pride. And these things will do damage. We need to return to prayer. If we're not in that praying place, we have a path forward for us. Repent and pray again. Repent and long to be found seeking your heavenly father. And don't we find he always richly embraces us so quickly when we return to prayer? He reminds us that we have one who ever lives to intercede for us. The Holy Spirit again comes in and renews, even giving us a memory of things that we had thought were long forgotten. All by prayer, all by God's blessing, the heavenly father embracing us. Uh, Again from this morning, if our heart was condemning us and we come to prayer, we find that there is a great assurance The Father often brings in, even quickly, we don't find him shunning us or trying to make us run the distance until we finally get in the right place to be sorry for our praying. But we come praying, and the Father rejoices to see the prodigal, even off at the distance, ready to join in, ready to embrace. And so when they say they pray, and when we are confronted with our own prayerlessness, We have a beautiful path before us, don't we? To repent and to pray again. They say also that they will devote themselves to the ministry of the word. word. So this is all point four. I should have mentioned this first. The apostles keep focus is the name of this point. They will pray. They will have the ministry of the word. Without the preaching of the word, the church dwindles. Preaching the word gives the church its identity and its mission. It keeps us on track. And this is why they said this is the thing we can't neglect. As good and noble and desirous it is that we would solve the trouble with the widows, we cannot give up preaching the word because it is our identity and it is our mission. It is needed for spiritual direction. It's needed to grow our discipleship unto Christ day by day, week by week, among the people of God, proclaimed by those who are qualified to dig deeply into the word of God and bring it forth that we would follow it more closely. Preaching of the word is needed, even in our fellowship, that we would be like iron, sharpening iron. Preaching the word is needed for the battles and temptations, the call and seductions of the world, that we might put first things first. The apostles keep their focus. So if we see the trouble on the church, we see the direction they've taken in the church, let us now turn to the blessings of God upon the church. Verses 5 and 6. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the first great blessing we have before us is even though there's trouble, we can anticipate church unity. Such a differing situation. Such complaints are given. Some people might point to some 
conspiratorial inner structure that is, that is bound to bring doom to all. But they employ these directions to this trouble and they find church unity among all. It pleased all. We should marvel in the fact that such a varied group in such a point of development would find everything pleasing in all their ranks. And yet this is what we see. We can anticipate a church unity when priorities are kept priorities and we seek to manage those troubles that are before us. I find it very interesting that of those seven chosen, all had Greek names. That seems kind of one-sided in one sense, doesn't it? But there's probably a reason for this. It was the Greek widows that were being neglected. And these with Greek names, many think they were probably part of the dispersion, knew what it was to be cast out, knew the hardships, and they naturally had a heart to see those who were neglected to have their needs met, to have them be served. And so we find, in a sense, we find an outlier here that all seven have Greek names and that the, uh, those that were in the Hebrew community uh, were well pleased with this as well. They, they weren't standing up crying out, how am I going to be represented here? It pleased all of them to have this result And this result seems to have put people in place that had a heart to serve those who were in need. It's just an amazing bringing about of of all these particulars, all these guidance, the people choosing it, uh, coming to this conclusion where they had unity. And I believe we can anticipate church unity as we anticipate deacons coming in. This unity is above race. This unity is above problems. This unity is above angular personalities and drama that were involved. It was definitely not the cookie-cutter approach to how we should deal with this problem. And it was all according to plan. The plan set forth by the apostles, the members of the body going forward and choosing, and then them laying and praying their hands upon them. We also see a blessing in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so our sixth point is that we can anticipate divine blessing. Growth initially was the problem, wasn't it? It seemed to be related to that. And yet when that is managed, greater blessing, greater numbers in a gospel-centered preaching is the result. God continued the increase. Two quotes that I thought were very profitable. Impediments to growth caused by growth can become occasions for growth when priorities are protected and the ministry is shared. Also another quote, the normal church pattern. This one kind of got a wry smile out of when I read it. The normal church pattern Preach, pray, grow, anticipate drama, manage the drama, pray, keep preaching, and then get ready for more drama. So I think we know where this guy's coming from. And when it hits, keep praying. We keep praying right through. We maintain those distinctives, the word of God, maintaining our identity. And so we see that we can, we see God's blessing upon them. And so we've seen the trouble We've seen the temptation to distraction. We've seen the direction, both members working in harmony with 
those in leadership. We find that they keep their focus on prayer and the word. And then we see the resulting blessing of God. They enjoy a wonderful season of church unity. We see that they grow yet more in numbers. And in fact, there's a very particular way that they grow that is mentioned here. Actually, two particular ways. The first one is they wonderfully say that the number of disciples increased. I don't know if you caught that. But when a church grows, not all that come in the door are disciples. It's sort of the dragnet parable that Christ gave. Fish, good and bad, have to be separated. And sometimes church grows. It's not everybody's a disciple, but here it says the number of disciples grew. Those who came, those who adhered to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, those who followed Christ, they were named as disciples. They weren't seekers or tasters, but they were disciples. They weren't simply just attenders. They were disciples. They had submitted themselves uh, and this points to their spiritual character and it points to their advancement in following Christ. A second interesting blessing that is listed here is that many of the priests came to faith. Here you have an organized, well-funded block of intellectual men who oppose Christ and very recently had sought his death upon the cross against all reason. Even when Pilate washes his hands and says, I find no, nothing but innocence in him. By their volume in stirring up the crowd to cry for the crucifixion of Christ, they avoid all legality. They avoid all logic. They just say, by volume, we are going to suppress the truth. And yet it's that body. It's those men. Another historian believes there were, throughout the year, there were as many as 8,000 priests that would be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the seat of this body of formidable enemies of Christ. And this is the body of men we see God blessing with. This is the body of men we see God saving and drawing into the church. And so it's marvelous that we see disciples and priests coming unto Christ. And that is the pattern of how God has blessed the church in its continuing growth. The fiercest enemies can be saved. And it helps form our opinion, doesn't it? If we see someone who is against the gospel, the work of God's blessing can change all that in an instant. And I'm not even saying this was an instant, but this seems to be fairly quickly. So in conclusion, what do we see from Acts 6? We see that they manage trouble with a priority on prayer and preaching to maintain their identity and their mission. I'd leave us with three conclusions. Protect, promote, and praise. Protect. We should be very mindful to us to protect the unity of the church. To look at our relationships one to another. To see how the Lord has gifted the body. And to see how we can serve in the body. And to anticipate the the unity that Christ gives in that order. We should also protect that The leadership, the pastors of the church are not so distracted. We join them, we join the pastors in their endeavor to maintain prayer and the preaching of the word. And so we seek to protect in those ways. Secondly, we would seek to promote, promote the ministry priorities. We must have a gospel-centered growth. 
while not wanting to neglect areas of need, we hope to meet those. But we also must maintain a gospel-centered growth in the church. And this comes again by devotion to prayer and the word. We are to promote a qualified sharing of the ministry. And I believe this is exactly what 1 Timothy 3 does. When I mentioned that uh, I came in as a parachurch guy into this church back in 87, it was actually 1 Timothy 3 that stopped me in my tracks because I had seen how decisions were being made in a parachurch environment. Usually one individual stands up and says, I'm going in this direction and it's your responsibility to get behind me and let's go. And then when I saw, no, some of those decisions that I saw seemed to be just wild decisions, just personal impressions. And then when I read God's word in 1 Timothy 3 and said, God would have a qualified leader, according to these qualities, make decisions and bring order in the church. And that, that's the day it just turned. It turned because the scriptures direct our minds and we should promote the same as well. We promote a qualified sharing of the ministry. It's a huge problem to have men who are not qualified in the office, isn't it? We need to pray that the word so takes us that every officer, all of us are growing in discipleship with Christ. Thirdly, let us bless God, let us praise God for the increase. We don't have to look far. We look, again, as I looked at this passage and saw the decades that the Lord has brought us through as a church, the troubles that we've faced, the seasons that we have known, the faithfulness of the preaching of the word. What a great debt of praise. What a happy debt of praise we have unto him who has seen us through. When we had problems, God brought it to blessing. When tempted to discouragement, we saw that trouble was not only not unique to us, but that he brought us through and made us stronger for it. He transformed our problems into victories. He took Joseph, if you remember, from being a slave and a prisoner to saving people in Egypt. He took the Red Sea where they had the army fast on their heels. He brought them deliverance. The greatest trouble of all we see was when Christ goes to the cross. And he works from that a great salvation for us. We are no strangers to trouble. And we are... We bless God and we praise God for how he takes even our trouble and makes it a blessing. Therefore, let us thank him. Let us rejoice in gospel growth. And let us remember to keep the gospel front and center. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your word by which you have directed us. When your word is proclaimed, we hear the voice of our shepherd calling us and directing us. We see that in this sense you walked before us and we were able to follow after because you have given your truth. And then when your Holy Spirit enlivens our hearts and minds to see your word, we rejoice in it, we follow it, we find unity in it, we find blessing in it, we find strength against our troubles. Lord, you move and you bless your people. We bless you and thank you. Help us to take these words, to bring them to good use by the aid of your spirit. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to this church for the grace that you have brought to us, for the teaching that has been proclaimed in every season. We owe you thanks for this. We bring you thanks. We rejoice that it is so. And so we bless you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.